I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Pennick, live from, from Manhattan, mm. from Manhattan, mm-hmm. the John Boy Media Studios, and welcome to Draft Day 2022. This is my favorite podcast of the year. We put so much work into this, and it all builds up into this. So we're going to do uh, some talk about the Draft Day vibes, and then we're going to do our final mock drafts. Justin, how are you feeling for Draft Day? Bobby Skinner. Let's go. It is draft day. Sort of got about 24 hours when we're recording this. I'm pumped, man. Um, I'm pumped. Think we sound good. That's a good sign. We are in Manhattan. We're doing our first ever live podcast. Kind of feel kind of professional, but I don't even want to talk about that. I kind of don't even want to live in that moment because I want to live tomorrow night, Thursday, 8 p.m. when the Giants have two top 10 picks the Giants are going to get better. I love to say this kind of cliche phrase, but it is true whenever we get around this time of the year. The New York football Giants are going to improve as a football team, and I'm very pumped for it. And it's also kind of like a new era, hopefully a new breath of life that this Giants team is going to have. Yeah, I mean, we've had the same GM for the last four NFL drafts. This is our first draft under the Joe Shane era. Your first draft really is a big part of what you're judged on. Yep. You know, Brandon Bean. Uh, in Buffalo, we look at that 2018 draft as his most important draft and their best draft. Um, we've done a lot of prep into this. Uh, this is this is the most important one. Um, you know, there's still some old he- you know old names in the building with Chris Pettit and stuff. They're being evaluated, but this draft is so important because this is the start of a rebuild. This is a team with of full of holes yep. right now. It is full of holes. So we need to come out of this draft not with filling every positional need, but getting. F- Getting four to five good players out of yeah. this draft. Yeah. Okay. And when you're at pick five and seven, you got to have one of those guys at least be great. We need to get one great player, hopefully two. If you're crazy three, and we're going to go through the 2018 Colts draft to kind of talk about some Ooh. draft strategy um, before we get into the mock drafts, Justin. But people are tired, and I'm tired. Uh, I mean, I'm very, very tired, and every single Giant fan is tired of this. Tired of August, September, we're excited about the season starting, and then October, you know, uh, the words draft are entering people's mouths and people's tweets in the month of October. It's enough. I've had enough. Is this team going to go out there and win 10 games this year, 9 games? Probably not. Is this team hopefully going to be competitive in most of the games that they play and winning more football games that they have the last two years? Like, that is the expectation, and they absolutely should be. And the fact that there's five picks in the top 100 – uh, that is a very, very good thing. And those are five players that, you know, hopefully can at least do something year one, even if they're not automatic, like, starters. People are tired, and this is the start of us not being tired of this team. Yeah, so let's get into it. Before we get into the mock drafts, 
I try to do something different to start the draft day podcast every year, just to kind of explain some draft philosophy, what you mm-hmm. think. You know, last year we went with, uh, you know, we talked about, like, let's look at, look at this draft. Let's look at the guys who went round one, this position round two. Look at how many guys who go round two end up being better than the round one. This is not an exact science. So here's what I'm going to say something, because the Giants have a ton of holes, and they have nine draft picks. Yeah. But I'm going to show you why I think attacking the draft and trying to fill all those holes is not uh, the right philosophy. Okay, it's about getting good players. Okay, with nine picks, it's about trying your best to get nine good players. Is that realistic? No. Five years from now, you're going to evaluate the Giants draft, not off of that they fill the safety in round four or five, but you're going to look at, hey, round four or five, if they got a good football player, that's going to be the thing that you're talking about. Not that they didn't get this safety, not maybe that they didn't get this tight end. You're going to be talking about if the Giants drafted a good football player in a slot, five years from now, that is what you're going to highlight. So I want to look at the Colts' 2018 draft class for a few reasons. One, it was a new era for the Colts. They weren't going to be drafting a QB. Now, obviously, Andrew Luck had a lot more faith and and proven at that point than Daniel Jones. But we're just in a situation where we're not taking QB, and you have a lot of picks towards the top. The Colts had a bunch of second-round picks, but we have five and seven and then 36. So I think it's kind of equal to that. And when you look at it, it's looked at as one of the better draft classes of the last four years, if not the best. You know, yeah. I tried to go through some draft classes to maybe do two examples. This really looked like the best one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to go through it because this team had this Colts team had holes and they had 11 picks and they didn't go into it trying to fill every single hole. So let's go through this draft in 2018. They also didn't get a quarterback. No, exactly. So yeah. it's, it's it's I think we're in a similar situation to what the Colts were. Round one, pick six. They pick Quentin Nelson. A great pick. A, a, a great pick, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Round two, pick 36. They got a great pick in Darius Leonard. So now you, your t- first two picks are great picks. Okay? That's like all pro caliber players. You know, you're dra- you really are graded by the top of the draft, but it's not just that. Okay? Round two, pick 37. They, you know, so they had back-to-back picks. Braden Smith, the offensive tackle out of Auburn. He's a solid player for them. That's a good pick. Not a great pick, but a, a good pick. Now let's get into it because we view this as a really good draft class, but let's look at it. They have two more second-round picks. Round two, pick 52, Kamoko Ture, the edge out of Rutgers. Mm. He's been plagued with injuries. He played 27% of the the snaps last year. His best season was this past year with five-and-a-half sacks. If you want to reference that, Zoe Carter, who played uh, the same amount of games, more snaps, had five five sacks. Um, He signed a one-year, $1.7 million deal with the 49ers. That's a bad pick. We look at this as a good class because it is a good class. That's a bad pick. Round pick or round two, pick sixty-four. Defensive end Tyquan Lewis. He's been in the, uh, the. He was with them for four years. Had some serious reps. You know what his totals are? And this guy got uh, sixty plus percent of the snaps two years, and then like forty and forty-five the other two years. Mm-hmm. And four years, eight and a half sacks, fifty-six tackles, twenty-one QB hits. He just uh, signed again with the Colts for one year, three million. That's a bad pick for a second-round pick. Round four, pick 104, running back Nehi Hines. I view this as a good pick when you think about it being round four. Yeah. But let's look at him. He gets four carries a game, three catches of the game. He's you know more used more as a receiving back. He just signed for three years, $18 million with the Colts. We're going to call that a good pick. Round five, pick 159, wide receiver uh, uh, Darius Fountain. He's got two catches. He's on the practice squad with the Chiefs. Bad pick. Round five, pick 169, doubling up on the running backs. Jordan Wilkins out of Ole Miss. Who? He has four, he had 421 yards his rookie year. Pretty good. Well, he hasn't he hadn't didn't, hasn't done that since he was waived and, and now he's on the uh, a minimum deal with the Tennessee Titans. Yep. Round six, pick 185, wide receiver Deion Kane. He's out of the league. He had nine career catches. Bad pick. Round seven, pick 221, linebacker Matthew Adams. 
Uh, he's had one defensive snap the last two years. He just signed a minimum deal with the Chicago Bears. He plays a lot of special teams. Bad pick. Round seven, pick 235, their final pick. Linebacker Zaire Franklin. Started 11 games this past year. Took him a little while, but he had 40 tackles. Signed a three-year, $12 million deal back with the Colts. That's a good pick. Okay. And he was taking uh, – he was the third linebacker they took. So this yep. is a team with a bunch of picks and a bunch of holes. But let's look how they at- attacked it. Yeah, how many picks do they have? With 11 total picks. They had two great picks. And with how many picks in the second round? Four, uh, four, <laughs> three, four second-round picks. That's insane. <laughs> And there were three good picks in that entire draft. Eleven, no, eleven total picks. Two great, two great, three good, three good, and six bad, including two second round picks that were bad picks. Yeah. And did they just go and try and fill every need? No, they went two offensive linemen, three linebackers, two wide receivers, two running back, two pass rushers. So with eleven picks, how many positions did they hit? Five. Mm. Now. The Giants have a huge need at right tackle, and they should fill it at pick five. Evan Neal or Kim Okwanu should be there. Yep. And if they there are there, take them. But again, especially when we hit round three to seven, it is about getting the player that you think has the best chance to become an NFL player. Okay? Because guess what? They took a linebacker with round seven, pick 221. They probably didn't need another linebacker at the time. Yep. But the one they pick at 235 became the better player because mm-hmm. they thought he was good. They, he, they, that was who they thought had the best chance to become a good player. So especially as you get into day three, I want us to keep that in the back of our mind, that this is about getting good players and not filling holes because the Giants have nine picks, and if four to five become at least solid players, that's a really good draft. Yeah. Not all nine of these players are going to be good or contributors or will be on the team four years from now. Yeah, and we'll 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 get to our mocks, but the Giants are at a point where they need obviously position they have positions of need, but they just need good football players. They need good football players kinda kinda everywhere you look. You know, and even though there's some positions that have depth, you know, hey, like interior D line, what's the future of Dexter Lawrence? What's the future of Leonard Williams? Wide receiver, yeah, Kadarius Tony. He's in like trade rumors. Kenny Galladay is not healthy. Sterling Shepard doesn't have a lot of time left. So you, even you look at these positions where fans are like, well, the Giants don't need this. Do, are, do they really? Do they really not need it? So it's about getting good football players. And like I said, five years from now, because that's what we're doing at Bleeding Blue right now, you know, uh, our Giants history show. We're looking back at these previous draft classes and we're looking at. Did they draft good football players? Wasn't that, oh, was this a position of need? Was this non position of need? Did they draft good football players? Simply, the NFL draft is an exercise of can you bring in good football players or do you bring in bad football players? Simply put, that's what the draft is. Bobby Skinner, what do you got to say? I'm ready to get into these mock drafts, yeah. Justin. I'm ready yes, to get into yes, these mock yes, drafts. Yes, we do. Yes. You only do one a year. It used to, I used to only do one a year. And then as we got on YouTube, we realized it was not responsible to only do one every year, even yep. though I kind of like that idea. Yeah. But this is the one I count every year. Like, I don't look back at what did I say on April 1st or post-senior bowl or mid-season. This is the one I look back at. All of our work is done. Um, got a few more players I'm going to look at tomorrow. We'll look at some more before day three. I do want to say I promised to watch Troy Anderson before we got to the draft. Yeah, um, you did. No one told me he was so bad versus the run. I was expecting to see this amazing player. He's well, I so mean, bad versus the run. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> you look at the combine, and then we were having trouble finding games of his, whether it's old 22 or just on YouTube. And I guarantee you the rest of the world also had trouble finding games. But they saw the combine, and his relative athletic score is probably like a 9.9, 9 out of 10. And uh, that's what people fell in love with. The so. defense is he's linebacker young. You know, he plays yeah. running back. But I just thought, quarterback, I thought that back. was funny. I was breaking him down this morning. I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy Kinda is not good against the run. Like the worst linebacker I've watched this year wow. versus the run. 
Still um, fun. Don't care. Fun player. Yeah, but like I had like you know round two. Like there was round two hype around. around yeah. Him. All right. Before we get into our mock drafts, this episode was brought to you by some special people. Justin, we got Thomas Fredo. Mm-hmm. Not Fredo. He's 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 a good guy. Fredo. Fredo. Gil Martinez. Sure. Uh, Blake Martinez's brother. I'm glad that he's a part of, yeah. of the family. Jason Bright. Who is that? Is that Julian's brother? No, I think Julian's brother's name, Justin. And I don't even think he's a Giants fan. Jul- J- Julian's brother like hiked across Florida or something yeah. like that. So I wonder if Jason Bright's crazy did family. That. Jack Maxwell, the best part of waking up is Maxwell in your cup. And then Sean Cashman, who we've got all the big hitters family. That's Brian Cashman's brother. Yes. Who may not people may be a little mad at brother Jeff. or son. Yeah, th- yeah, that's his son. We don't son. want old, you know, Brian Cashman's old old brother. Young audience. Um, Justin, who are these people? Patreon. How can they support us for all the work we've done for the draft? Dot com slash talking giants, patreon.com slash talking giants. Shoot us a month plus some other tiers. You can watch us while we record the shows live, usually. Um, not today, but Bobby Skinner will also send you some stickers, magnets in the mail, and twice a month you have access to some shirt raffles. Patreon.com slash talking giants. Some of our favorite people in the world. Fun fact. Not some of the favorite people wow. in the world. It's like, you know, um, Mike Francesa, our Patreon. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into these mock drafts. I got goosebumps. I know. I mean, this is my favorite podcast of the on day. My stomach. I, you know, I don't usually have to listen to pump up music before. It's like this was a podcast. I just, I, you know, listen to some pump up music. And it's always good for the podcast host. So make sure to subscribe to the podcast and listen to the podcast. We're trying to top the charts this weekend. Do it. Um, it's Enough. A, it's, a, it's a familiar but fun intro. Enough. I want to get to it. The Giants have two first-round picks, and they're both in the top seven. Mm -hmm. And Justin, with round one, pick five, Akemakwani was off the board. For me, Kayvon Thibodeau was off the board. Mm. Aiden Hutchinson was off the board, and Trayvon Walker was off the board. Mm. And this was an easy, easy pick for me, and that is offensive tackle out of Alabama, standing at 6'7", 337 pounds, Evan Neil, mm. Justin, we're not going to do full breakdowns of these guys like we do in our draft preview pod, especially now at the top, but it's simple. He's the most polished pass blocker with the best frame, and he moves well. Like, it's it really comes down to that. It's simple. And he's a good run blocker, not a great one. There is some questions about balance and stuff, but Justin, I think the debate between Aquanu and Neil is tough because there's a lot of projection involved with Aquanu, but to me... With the Quanu off the board, this pick is easy for me. It's it's really Evan Neal or bust. Can I say the sourced up thing that I want to say with definitive, definitive any? Could do it. De- definitive, definitively. Uh, the Giants have uh, Evan Neal as tackle one. And I'm not 100% sure of it, but Dan Graziano put it out today, and I heard it before Dan Graziano. We mentioned it yesterday on a live stream that we did. Um, so that's what I heard. If Evan Neal's there and he, and, you know, they, he is tackle one, uh, the Giants will... Take him. That's my bet. And round one, pick five, I have the New York Football Giants selecting also Evan Neal. So this is the only two picks that we're going to have in common. But, Bobby, simply, you know, I I put it as the Giants were the least explosive team in the NFL the last two years. Their running backs have gotten hit at or behind the line of scrimmage at some of the highest rates in the National Football League the last two years. Both of those things are not good. Both of those things really prohibit you from being a successful football team that wins games and score points. And the Giants have been a football team that has not scored points the last two years. Investing in this offensive line and fixing this damn offensive line is going to definitely help 
both of those categories of sustaining a run game, keeping it on schedule, a running game becoming more explosive. Let's let's shoot for the stars there. And also a passing game being more explosive as well. And utilizing some explosive wide receivers and some explosive skill position players that we do have. Evan Neal and Andrew Thomas, by the way, I want to go over some top tackle pairs in the league. The Saints have Armstead and Ryan Ramchuk. Armstead's gone now, though. Really? Where is he? Miami. So now he's gone. Donovan Smith and Tristan Wirfs from the Tampa Bay Bucks. Those guys are there, and I think you can make a good argument that those two guys are the top tackle pair in the National Football League. The Cowboys had Tyrone Smith and Leo Collins. Collins is now gone. He's on the Bengals. And Tyrone Smith is declining. Ravens had Ronnie Staley, uh, Stanley and Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown is now in the Chiefs. Colts had Anthony Costanza and, and, and Braden Smith. Costanza's now retired. Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal would become the best young tackle pair in the NFL and arguably the most exciting considering that they're two top 10 picks. And tackle is a spot where you, if you want to have a really good or great tackle, they have to be picked in the top 15. There is very few human beings who, who can fit that size frame, have that ath- the athleticism to hang with edge rushers. People talk about, oh, you can build an O-line later in the rounds. I think you can build a passable O-line later in the rounds. You don't build a good O-line, especially at the tackle spot in the later rounds. You know, we could talk about guards and stuff. Like, that's more the discussion about building an offensive line through the draft. But you don't re- you don't build a good left tackle or a good right tackle in the later rounds. There's exceptions, but they, they if you look at the top ones, they are almost always built or drafted in the top of the draft. Amen. All so right. we did it. We did it. We got our right tackle. We got our right tackle. And um, the O-line report this year will be a lot of fun watching every day. Or hopefully, get you know, play good. Get him. All right. Round one, pick seven. Round one, pick seven. There we go. Okay. Um, we, so for me, Kayvon Thibodeau was off the board. Mm. But oh. this, is, this decision would be tough if Kayvon was there, but he's not for me. And I'm going Cincinnati, cornerback, Sauce Gardner, six foot three, 190 mm. pounds with a 4'4", 140. You don't see that type of speed and size. Justin, I do think he's the best player in the draft. I know some people don't even have him as the best corner in the draft. Derek Stingley has kind of became more of a talking point. Um, but I think he's a tall, fast corner who excels in press man. And if that doesn't fit Wink Dart Martindale's defense like mm. a glove, yeah. then I don't know what does. And you watch him, and you say, well, what was the competition he played at Cincinnati? Well, he played against Jameson Williams. He played against Kevin Austin of Notre Dame. He played against Calvin Austin of Memphis. And versus, I didn't track the stats versus Calvin Austin, but he did dominate him. Yeah. And when he faced Jameson Williams and Kevin Austin versus Alabama and Notre Dame, the opponent went one for five, five yards, one pass breakup, and one interception in those mm. games. And over 1,100 coverage snaps, he's allowed zero touchdowns. He fits Wick Martindale like a glove. I think he's the best player in this draft. There's obviously some stuff he has to work on with his press neck technique at the start. You know, his feet get a little wide. But I'm, I I think this is a slam dunk. Corner's a scary position to take at the top Very. draft. But I, I like Sauce Gardner, and I want him at pick seven. Yeah, I get scared of corners. But the more that I've been thinking about it and the more that I've been trying to compare it to previous situations that the Giants have been in when they've taken corners. So let's just use DeAndre Baker as an example, right? DeAndre Baker... Uh, similar to Sauce Gardner, except Sauce Gardner is much better prospect, but similar, both press man, both playing, you know, man coverage and at the line of scrimmage, kind of getting in your face, getting physical. And the Giants decided to use DeAndre Baker in a way where we're going to play you eight yards off the ball and in off coverage. Wink Martindale, there is no question 
no question on how he's going to want to use these cornerbacks. And if Sauce is taken with that seventh pick, and if Sauce is our you know, future CB number one, nice thing about taking Sauce Gardner is that he doesn't need to be CB one right away because you have a Dory Jackson. So all the pressure isn't on his shoulders to face some of these really, really good wide receivers. So um, Sauce Gardner, longest ar- second longest arms in the draft, I believe. I think Tyreek Woolen uh, has the longest arms, and he's like a, a good round two, round one, uh, probably not round one, good round two option for a team. But Sauce Gardner, those long arms, they translate to the NFL, some of the best corners in National Football League you talk about all the time. They have those long arms. So even though I'm scared of corner because it's so unpredictable, it's so unpredictable uh, league-wide, I'm down. Yeah. I like it. And again, uh, Wink Martindale is a defensive coordinator who has a lot of respect. This isn't Patrick Graham coming to the Giants where he ended up being a good defensive coordinator but doesn't have the prowess. Let's give Wink Martindale what he needs to be the good defensive coordinator he is. And the big part of that is a, cor- a press man corner. And that's, and that's what you saw in 2020. I mean, the, when they lost all those secondary guys, that's when the Ravens allowed the most explosive plays in the National Football League, and that's what really killed them. So, yeah. And yep. again, I think having a Dory Jackson to play that cornerback one role for year one, it, it really does allow Gardner to go through some of the growing pains at yep. corner. All right. Round one, pick seven of the 2022 NFL draft. Justin Panic is taken. Kayvon Thibodeau. University of Oregon, edge rusher. This is the pick that I feel that can transform the Giants the most out of this entire class. As a football team, yes, the Giants need a right tackle. Yes, the Giants need offensive linemen. But I think getting an edge rusher and having the potential of getting that number one edge rusher in the first round, at the top of the first round too, I think getting that kind of stud that Kayvon can be on this team is so, so huge. The personality and superstar potential that Kayvon Thibodeau has, I think it's a match made in heaven. Like New York City, the Giants, I think it is a match made in heaven as the potential to be. Secondary is king in the NFL, and that's why I'm very, very cool with the sauce at seven. But if you can get a guy that gives you at least eight sacks, eight sacks a year and 25 QB hits, which that QB hits category being sustainable year in and year out is more important in the NFL, that changes your defense. And Wink Martindale, yeah, a lot of the pressure schemed. Yeah, he, he has a high blitz rate. I get all that. But at the end of the day, somebody's got to hit the quarterback. You still need some dogs out there. Somebody's got to get those sacks. And Kayvon Thibodeau changes this defense. And I think it changed the trajectory of how we view this Giants team long term. Edge isn't as dramatic as tackle and QB as like the best guys come at the top of the draft. But for the most part, there. they do. But you, you, know, track you, you find some late first, early second guys who ended up being really good, maybe sometimes great, and then some mid-round guys that end up turning. And... You know, there's coverage versus pass rush is always a talking point among, Mm -hmm. you know, football people, film people, analytics people. I think the general consensus is that on a week one through 17, uh, now 18 schedule, coverage is more important than pass rush. Because if you have bad coverage, um, it doesn't matter how good your pass rush is. They're going to keep good, at least good QBs are going to eat you alive. But I do think in the playoffs, those pass rushers who, when you rush four, could get there. When every team is good, you're playing good QBs more, things every are more single even. week. Yeah. Those pass rushers are what win playoff games. And we see it every every year in the Super Bowl. It's like it's like these it's, it really comes down to pass rush a lot yep. of the times, you know, Rams, especially the past couple of years. Yeah. Rams D line um, versus Bengals. Yeah. Unlike coverage, you know, a nice pass breakup gives you second and ten, which is big. But a sack, you go look at the numbers. Sacks are drive enders. Yep. So um if Kayvon wasn't here for me in my mock, we decided to not do it as same consensus so we could be a little bit different. I probably, I might take Kayvon over Sauce, but it's a tough decision because I think Sauce is a better player than Kayvon. But Kayvon does give me some worries that I don't 
Like, I'm not, I, I can't guarantee you that, I guess we can't guarantee you either, but I yeah. can't guarantee that Kayvon's going to be a great, great pass rusher, but I do like him. I think he's the second best in this class after Aiden Hutchinson, and you can even argue that he's better than Aiden. Um, but yeah, obviously I love this. Yeah, at least as of pick seven, you know, obviously the pro personality thing, right? I, I'm sure that either if you're in the pro Kayvon camp, that either, you know, hey, personality thing, it's not an issue. Or if you're anti Kayvon, that's like, hey, that's the thing that I'm staying away from, right? I trust the Giants and Joe Shane right now, especially because of how much Joe Shane talks about character over like quality of players sometimes. <laughs> like there's just going to be a guy that if he has bad character and he doesn't fit what the team's doing, he's just not going to be on the board. He just flat out will not be on the board. doesn't matter what round it is. So um, I trust that the Giants are going to know these guys like the back of their hands. Bobby Skinner. All right, now let's hit round two. And we, I do my picks, my tweets every year of like, let's look at the history of this Giants pick. Round two, pick 36. Yeah. It might be the best damn pick in the draft. <laughs> and historically, the Giants are like a much better team picking in the second round than the first round anyway. It doesn't matter what GM it is. doesn't matter what coach it is. That's just like a track record that we have. It includes Darius Leonard, um, you know, Xavier McKinney's in that. And I think a part of it is that positional value does matter a little more in the first round. Yeah. And that... So at pick 36, you're the fourth pick in the second round. You get a lot of, like, really good players, but teams are like, I don't know if I wanted to take a safety in the first, or I don't know if I want to take a guard in the first. And you just get, you know, an off-ball linebacker. Um, Justin, this decision for me, I thought about going Tyler Smith and putting him at guard, but I just – there's too mm. much wrong with his game for me to feel comfortable. I thought about doing David Ajabo and just being like, you know what, I'm taking the chance on the guy with a torn Achilles. Uh, I thought about going Christian Watson, the wide receiver out of North Dakota State. But I'm going to make my defensive coordinator happy again, and I'm going to go Arnold Ebiketti, the edge out of Penn State, with my 36 overall pick. He had mm. 20, nine and a half sacks this past year, 18 tackles for a loss. Justin, he's a pass rusher. He's got great feet and, and good get off, and he uses his hands violently, working outside in. Like he's going to test an offensive tackle around the corner. Like he's got good get off, but if you if you start overcompensating, he's going to beat you back inside. Um, the guys that work outside in do sometimes worry me because you want to be a little more disciplined in the NFL containing the edges. Um, but I really like him as a pass rusher, and I think for what Wink Martindale does, it's going to fit really well. You know, they drafted away out of Penn State last year with the Ravens. Um, the issue with uh, Ebiketti, who might people say well, he's not worth 36, is he's not great in the run. But I will say I've never seen – I don't see him get blown off the ball. He just doesn't have those, like, set the edge and push the offensive line back reps. He does disengage, sometimes a little too late, which is something he needs to get better at. But those are things, you know, uh, we have Drew Wilkins as that outside linebacker coach. Wink trusts him a lot, and I think they're going to work on that type of stuff. EBKD's advanced numbers in terms of when he gets to the quarterback, like if you break it down from one and a half seconds to two or two seconds to two and a half and then two and a half seconds and after – he has a really good pressure range in the range that you want. And I kind of look at that like 1.7 seconds to two and a half seconds as like, hey, that's a that's kind of a good barometer of how are you winning naturally instead of just scheme-centered or are you winning based off of coverage sacks, right? You know, the longer that these guys get their pressure rate or the longer that the quarterback holds the ball, are you making most of your production there? And E.B. Katie has that nice little range of a lot of his pressures are coming from, hey, he's just naturally winning. And what I like about E.B. Katie is I think he is going to fit Wink pretty well because moving from outside to in, those outside to inside moves that you talked about, I think that fits perfect because he could just be a guy that's like, hit this gap, hit this hole, and just go. 
go, go, go. Win your rep, fill this gap, fill this hole, um, especially when he's being used as a blitzer. So I'm all for Arnold DBK. He was the first player that I looked at this uh, this draft season. He went to the Senior Bowl. The only thing that gave me a little pause in this is I do think he's a better prospect than Aziz or Jalar. I wasn't as high on Aziz as everyone else. Um, but you kind of have two similar players on the edge. Yeah. You know, like who are they're not going to they're not going to set the edge beautifully, but they'll disengage in the run. That was kind of my only worry. But again, you know, pass rush to me is is more important, uh, and they're going to rotate and stuff. So I, I I felt good. I felt good about Ibikati, but I had options here that I could have went. But again, I I just knew it's like once you get to round three, round four, I don't know if you're going to find a really good edge. Yeah, that's or a good pass rush. That's true. I, I kind of think Ibikati is the last uh, guy who you really feel like, hey. I feel like this could be a really good pass rush for a long time. I mean, there's there's obviously guys like Benito, there's Sam Williams, but they have big question marks for all different reasons. So I feel like E.B. Katie's the, the less safe edge rusher. Yeah, and he's better versus the run than those two guys, yeah, obviously. Ab- so. Absolutely, absolutely. E.B. Katie's a pretty good all-around player. But still, there's a question of, hey, are you gonna if you're going to take an edge rusher and you're expecting that guy to be pretty solid and he's not going to be an alpha dog for you and you don't want him to just be a number two guy, how do you weigh that? I do think long-term he'd be a better pass rusher than Aziz. Though, All right. So. All right. All right, who's your second-round pick? Now, people are going to hate this. <laughs> people are not going to like the direction that I'm about to go into, but I'm going to explain why, and you're probably still going to disagree with me. Round two, pick 36. I have the New York Football Giants taking Travis Jones, interior defensive lineman, I got my nose tackle, 6'4", 325 pounds. UConn, second UConn pick in three years. UConn, you're damn, goddamn right about that. Five years from now, this is my pitch to Travis Jones. Five years from now, I have a very good feeling that Travis Jones is going to be one of those players that you say, one of those players that you just say, he's good. He's a good football player. And again, that's what the NFL draft is about. Like just putting it simply, it's about getting good football players on your team in a class that has Devonte Wyatt in a class that has Jordan Davis taking up the spotlight. Travis Jones is somehow, I think an underrated player in this draft class. Um, you see the money that interior defense alignment are getting. Do you really want to pay Dexter Lawrence all that money? Austin Johnson. What was Austin Johnson's deal that he got? Uh, two years, 16 million. That's, that's insane. And Dexter Lawrence is a much better football player than Austin Johnson. Does Leonard Williams have a future on the team after this year? So you can look at this pick and say it's irresponsible to take a run-stuffing interior defense alignment. And, and but he can rush the passer. He's not going to get a ton of sacks, but he's a run. Like, he rushes the passer pretty well. But for where the Giants are at, and I think where the league is trending too, where you want to put more secondary players on the field, it's important to guys, it's important to have those guys on the field up front that can stop the run so you don't have to stuff the box, so you don't have to put so many guys in the box. Is Wink Martindale going to operate like that? I don't know. Is he going to want to put a lot of secondary guys on the field? Hey, to be determined. Depends what the Giants have personnel-wise. But Travis Jones, I think he is going to be one of those players. That you're just going to look at him and say, hey, he's a really, really good football player. Um, and I think at least for one year, what an interior defensive line group and room that we can have with Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and Travis Jones. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have taken the pick, but I can't give that speech I just gave about the Colts and then tell you you can't take a defensive tackle yep, here. I got you. Um, got you. It's just... My worry is, like, I think like Dexter Lawrence, Dexter Lawrence can rush the passer, but Dexter Lawrence is never going to get seven sacks in a year. And I think that's what Travis Jones is. It's like he has great, great pass rush moves. He's going to get you a three to five sacks every single year. Um, but it's just, again, if you think if you think you, he's worth it, take him. Um, you know, don't worry about uh, positional need too much, especially once you leave round one. Um, so here are the players that 
came off the board right after I picked. So Jaquan Brisker out of Penn State. I just like Travis Jones better. I do. You can say that Jaquan Brisker. Yeah, I like. Okay, I have Travis Jones rated as a higher player than Brisker, and I like Brisker. Sky Moore, Tyler Smith, Arnold E.B. Katie, which I do like E.B. Katie. I mean, I'm fine with either or. Kenny Pickett, Logan Hall, Sam Howell, Christian Harris. Those are the guys that came off the board on my mock. See, I might have taken Logan Hall because he's more like that, you know, play that three technique, five technique, yeah. and, you know, edge when you really need him to. Um, but, all right, you ready for what do we have now? We have round three, pick 67. Yes, sir. All right, I can't believe this guy fell. And you can kind of look at the, the mock drafts and see how they have it ranked, you know, so this may be a little cheap. Um, but he was there. You know, we go, we don't. We don't do this ourselves. We go by the the draft network has the best, I think, mock draft simulator. Um, so we use that. And round three, pick 67. Didn't even have to look who else was on the board, even though I did. Mm. Wisconsin linebacker Leo Chanel. Wow. I love this guy. I think he's a late first-round talent in this class. Six foot three, 250 pounds. But I think it's realistic that he may fall because guys like Devin Lloyd and Kobe Dean may fall. Mm-hmm. And then there's Quay Walkers. And then there's, there's, like, there's guys out there. Um, but at 6'3", 250, he ran a 4'5", 3'40", had a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical jump, and he just is a do-it-all linebacker to me, Justin, um, who really brings the pop in the run game. Go watch him versus Tyler Lindebaum. He wins the matchup for, you know, the, you know, the PFF's greatest-rated player of all time, Tyler wow. Lindebaum. He Pull wins him out. that battle. Do it. Um, so in the run game, like, he does that. Now, he sometimes he plays with good instincts, but sometimes you can get too instinctive, and then he'll lose his run fit, and then it's like, oh, like, in, there was actually one play, and it was a good rep for Tyler Lindebaum versus, uh, when they are playing Iowa, yep. that he had success doing this earlier. He undercut an offensive lineman and made a tackle for a loss. He did the same thing. Lindebaum peels off and gets him, and then they had, like, a 20-yard rush gain. But, again, that's stuff that gets better. I'd rather take the aggressive player and reel him back in again instead of taking the guy like Jamin Davis, who's like, we need to teach you to be aggressive. Yep. Um, and he has real pass rush ability, not just a timing blitzer, even though he does time it, time it up well. It's wink. And just powerful hands. Watch him bring the hands to Tyler Linderbaum in the film breakdown I did on the Talking Football channel. Uh, and people will say, well, he's maybe not the best coverage linebacker because he doesn't have the greatest agility, even though look at his testing results. Watch him play. I think he's a really good athlete. But watch him you know, shut down progressions. There was multiple times where I watched Leo Chanel get back in coverage, and that was the read for the QB. And he was – he, he was able to play that He's over flipping route his hips, right? and ruined the progression of the QB and led to sacks, strip sacks. And that to me is more important than a guy that can run in man coverage because linebackers don't play in man coverage versus tight ends anymore. Nope. They play zone coverage. So again, you don't need to be the greatest athlete in the world to play zone coverage. You need to know how to do it and do it instinctive. And I think Leo Chanel does all that. Yeah. Leo Chanel, if he can wind up being a giant, that may be my entire pick in the entire draft. Like it, it really would. Cause I think like Chanel Unlike some other guys in this class, especially when you get past the first round and you get past the N'Kobe Deans and Devin Lloyds of the world, it's kind of like an old-school linebacker. He's bigger, he's more physical, yeah. but he can still play in the game today. So it's not like you're taking a guy who's slow, you know, and, he's, and he just has the size, right? But he brings the strength, he brings the pop, he has the instincts, too, to also go sideline to sideline, but he also plays in control. So that is something that uh, I am very much attracted to when it comes to Leo Chanel. And I think, hey, you know, another position where, hey, you could be like, oh, interior linebacker, maybe a little too early, but, you know, you don't know Blake Martinez's future. He's just coming off that torn ACL. And I think getting a guy like Leo Chanel basically guarantees you for the next, at least the next four years, you got your interior linebacker number one, and that's a position, at least for that number one spot, we don't have to worry about. Right. All right, who's your third-round pick? 
Third round, pick 67. I have the New York football giants taking interior offensive linemen. It's kind of strange. This was the only person I thought about taking over Leo Chanel. It's kind of strange. Cole Strange, 6'6", 301 pounds, interior offensive lineman from Chattanooga. They fixed his height. Uh, I hate to correct you in the draft, but it's Ooh. actually 6'4". 6'4". He's 6'6", kind of tall. Yeah. I know. Remember we had remember we had that argument on the interior offensive line episode? Yeah. I was right about Dylan Parham. You were right about Dylan Parham's and, weight. And I was wrong about Cole Strange. So Cole Strange is 6'4". All right, so it balances out. You're still perfect. One right, one wrong. Whether it's at center or guard, I feel really good about Cole Strange being a solid NFL player. 44 starts across three positions. He's a team captain, high IQ player that can pick up stunts, and he's naturally aggressive. There are some offensive linemen in this class, like Cam Jurgens, who are just outwardly wild, too aggressive, and you're playing two balls to the wall. He's naturally aggressive, always active, and plays with high energy. Um, I think we all hope that the Giants can walk away with a— uh, uh, two offensive linemen in the top 100. That's a goal that I'm hoping the Giants can reach. I just reached it because I'm awesome, and uh, I did it. You're you're welcome. I fixed the offensive line. This was the one guy I really did consider over Leo Chanel, um, but I just went back to my philosophy. I have Leo Chanel as, as a better player. Uh, I, I like Cole Strange a lot, um, you know, and and he was like, I know that after Cole Strange, I think it's a kind of a drop off. To, on the interior offensive line. Still, you get some solid players, but I think mm -hmm. like he's in that like that second tier of guys. Well, I fixed the offensive line. You're welcome. Thank me. So You didn't thank me. I'm I'm going to say uh, thank you. No, you're welcome. But I might fix it better with more value later on the draft, mm. so maybe you'll thank me. So, Wink Martindale, I want you to thank me right now mm. because I just went Arnold Abiquetti or Sauce Gardner and, and Leo Chanel. I made you happy. Now, Wink, I want you to shut up for the rest of the draft as we hit our second, third round pick. Shut up. Round three, pick 81. And again, this is all like slam dunk. I love these guys. And maybe the draft doesn't go this way, but these are where they're projected. And that's my second, my second out of five picks of a guy from Cincinnati. And that's wide receiver Alec Pierce. Six foot three, 211 pounds. Ran a 4'4", 140, a 40 and a half inch vertical jump. Like it. Simply, he's a vertical threat. And I think he can go up and get it. I think he does a lot of things well. He's just a player who knows how to get open. You know, if you play press uh, press man on Alec Pierce, he's going to make you pay. He's going to win the release. He's going to stack you. And then he has the speed. And if you're able to keep up, keep up with the speed, you're going to be out of place because he won the release. And he's going to be able to turn and, and jump and go get the ball. Um, Justin, I think I have him like as like the fourth wide receiver in this draft. You know, I'm mm -hmm. higher on him than most. Um, you know, I remember listening to Chris. I watched Chris Sims, and I was like, okay, let's go see if Chris Sims is being crazy again or if this is real. No, I think Chris Sims was right about this guy. Um, the biggest issue, and this can be a big issue, though, uh, is he does really gear down with a lot of steps into mm -hmm. his breaks. You know, and that is that can be a big issue. But I think other than that, Alex Pierce does almost everything really good. I think this draft, uh, a lot of it should be offensively, is how to become more explosive. I mean, it, the NFL is a league of explosive plays. I mean, if you look at the the team's win-loss records of if you finish in the top 10 of explosive plays and then the bottom 10, it is it is a starch difference. It's a drastic difference. And, you know, teams that finish in the top 10 of explosive plays have the best winning record. If you're in the middle 12, you have, you know, about a, almost a 500. And if you're in the bottom, you have a losing record. It's, it's one of those things that kind of go perfectly hand-in-hand -hand with each other. So... Um, that would be a huge step in becoming more explosive. Alec Pierce kind of underrated in that aspect of catching, catching that deep ball. Like you, I guess first glance, you look at him. Um, Hey, you're a little bit more about the intermediate stuff. No, he can catch a deep and he can kind of burn dudes. A, a lot of bit. times Ritter screwed him, yep. you know, 
like in that Alabama game. Now there was he got wide open on a slant, and it was a really high ball, but he should have caught it, you know. Uh, but it was still a bad throw by Ritter, but he should have caught it. But there were so many times where he was open and Ritter just didn't go to him. And part of that was the offensive line in that game. Uh, you know, Will Anderson wrecked uh, uh, wrecked that Cincinnati O-line. But if, like, if the offensive line wasn't so bad and Ritter was looking at him more, he was open. Um, so I, I, I love Pierce. I love him, he too. He could have had, like, 250. If, if Ritter played well and didn't underthrow him on some throws, he could have had, like, 250 yards versus Notre Dame. And he had, like, 150. I love him, too. I love Alec Pierce. So, where I'm going, round three, pick 81. I have the New York football Giants selecting. Some people are going to hate it. Some people are going to love it again. James Cook running back from Georgia. Bobby We Skinner. continue the run on Georgia Bulldog. You went running back with the, f- the fifth Giants pick in a round three pick. We had this conversation. We did. Um, To me, well, you talk about him. He's your pick. Here's what I'm going to – I'm not going to – Convince you're changing anybody's mind. But here's what I'm going to say. I'm a big stack guy. I'm a big explosive play guy. I've said it about 75 times this episode. Feels good. Feels good. This is how we know football's coming close when I'm talking about explosive plays and I'm talking about how important they are because the Giants have sucked in that. And that's why we're terrible. But when you draft a guy like James Cook, you're going to, it's going to change a little bit. So here's explosive run rate in college this past year. The leaders in this draft class. Guess who's number one? An explosive play rate. Um, Ty Chandler. Wrong. James Cook, number one, 8.1%. Kenneth Walker, number two, with 8% of his carries going for explosive plays. Brees Hall, 6.8%. So those are three guys. I, I know Brees solid. Hall wasn't here, but I saw a stat that Brees Hall, like the last two or three years in college, has the most yards before contact and after contact. I love Brees Hall, but he's not here. Not here. Common trends among running backs is that they are successful in the NFL when they also have a high explosive rate, explosive play rate in college. That is a common trend. That's a kind of sort of a predictor and one of the best predictors that you can look at future success when it comes to transitioning from the college game to the NFL game. And James Cook isn't just a running back. James Cook is a weapon. James Cook is a weapon that can be used out as a wide receiver. James Cook could be used out of the backfield as a receiver. It's not like he's just a receiving back. He is a legit, legit receiver. And if Brian Dable and company want to go in this direction. They have met with James Cook privately, and there's been a lot of talk that Brian Dable and company, and Joe Shane and company, that they really do like him. If they want to go in this direction, it means that they have a plan. It means that Mike Kafka has a plan. It means that Brian Dable, they have a plan to use him. And it's not just going to be like the previous regime where we're just going to take a guy and see what happens. We're going to sign Kenny Galladay to be a contested catch king and not give him a single contested catch until Jake Fromm is at quarterback. That's not the approach of this regime Let's get James Cook. Let's get more explosive. Let's do it. Let's score points. All right. Let's hit day three. The, my worry with Cook is that he's not the complete back and that we're a little worried in picking round three. All right. So let's go a little quicker through day three. Sure. Round four, pick 112. My favorite day of the draft, day three. And I love this guy. He was a late watch for me. We didn't hit him on any of our draft previews. That's Wake Forest offensive lineman, Zach Tom, six mm. foot four, 304 pounds. He actually played center his freshman year and then uh, moved to left tackle the past two years. Here's what I'll say. We, me and you both like Jermaine Johnson. Go watch Zach Tom versus Jermaine Johnson. He wins the day. He wins the day. Um, I think he has the athleticism that the top interior offensive linemen have. Go watch like his combine testing and then watch him play. The issue is he's not the strongest guy, but I think he's super technically sound. Um, I have him rated as like the seventh best interior offensive lineman in this draft because I value some more like those – 
pass blocking ability, and Zach Tom has that. There is some strength issues, but again, we're we're on day three, so guys are going to have yep. flaws, more flaws to their game. I love Zach Tom out of Wake Forest. He was a he was a guy who was a fun watch, and I think he's going to be a good interior guy in the draft. All right, in the league, I'm going to go with round four, pick one twelve. I really wanted a defensive player here. I really wanted a defense player. I kind of wanted to balance it out a little bit, but I went with Jalen Tolbert, wide receiver from South Alabama. Saw somebody in the chat said Jalen Tolbert would be perfect in the third round. Well, guess what? Somehow he fell. NFL teams are thinking that he's too skinny because he's 6'1", 194 pounds. He does have a thin frame, but Bobby, what am I, what's, what are, I'm thinking of two words right now. What are the two words I'm thinking of? He's smooth and he glides. I'm thinking of explosive plays. Ah, damn it. Damn it. Sixth. I just had that talking point about Jalen Tolbert in my yeah, head. Yeah, I, I know. I know you wanted to get to ready. your thing. I was like, he's like a poor man's Chris Olave. Uh, I, was, I was ready to get into that talking point. I'll throw, I'll throw it to you. But the sixth most, sixth, sixth most deep catches and sixth most deep yards in the entire nation this year. Averaged 17 yards per reception each of his three years. He fights through contact and grabby defenders. He's a smooth athlete. Bobby Skinner's going to talk about that. His route running is very smooth. High average depth of target but also solid yards after the catch per reception numbers, which that's what you typically look for. If you have a high average up the target, usually sometimes your yards after catch numbers are a little bit low. But Tolbert, they're nice and they're balanced. And, and even though his 40-yard dash of 449 is okay, his 10-yard and 20-yard split is really good. And if you look at his spray chart in terms of where he ran his routes, it is all pretty much more than 10 yards down the field. Yeah. And it's higher than the average receiver in this draft class. But... It's diverse all over the field. You'll see a lot of receivers, and this is mostly scheme, but you'll see a lot of receivers where the routes that they run very much centered around the left sideline, very much centered in the middle of the field. Jalen Tolbert, after those 10 yards, very, very diverse, has caught the ball in a lot of different ways in college. Obviously, he didn't face a lot of good competition, right. but I'm happy with Jalen Tolbert he did in round well four. versus Tennessee. He's that typical X receiver, and I think his route running is, is just really smooth. Like Chris, like Chris Olave is the smoothest wide receiver in the NFL in the draft. Mm. I kind of view him as like a poor man's Olave, and like watching him on double moves, like he just has, understands route selling. The more and more we get into get better at this draft stuff, I just value route running more than you know. Like it's the most important thing to me. In wide receivers, obviously, you need to have the prerequisites, um, but I, I like I like Jalen Tolbert a lot, and. Uh, one th reason I'm really rooting for him is that the Senior Bowl is at South Alabama, and he's a South Alabama guy. Yeah. Yeah, he was there. So I, I like this pick for you. All right, round five, pick 147. We're finally getting a tight end, a huge need for the New York Giants. And that's this is one of my favorite guys. Charlie Kohler out of Iowa State, six foot six, two 252 pounds. He put up 23 touchdowns in his career at Iowa State. Now, he, you see, 6'6", 252. He's a Y tight end, and he will be. But he, they use him more as that flanked-out role. Yeah. Um, and his blocking does need to improve. And the thing that worries me is that his blocking won't improve because I, the biggest critique of it is, like, you just need a little more nastiness in your, in your run blocking. Like, you have some good technique. You need some more nastiness to it. Can't teach that. Um, yeah, I don't know if you can teach that. But what uh, also you can teach, but he's like does it at an advanced level, and why I like him is his route running. It's a thing of beauty. He's a an, an highly intelligent player. You understand route sell. I have him rated as a second tight end, which is probably like one of more like he's he's one of my like I have him rated much higher than you know the draft consensus yeah. does uh, with him and and to me it's that route running like you you don't fall in love with route running in the draft process you fall in love with you know Jelani Jelani Woods Jelani. you know uh, you know or Isaiah likely burning guys or Greg Dolchich or Trey McBride tight end one the more you know total package 
So Charlie Kohler is not a player you watch and you just fall in love right away. But when you watch him intently, you you that's when I fell in love with him. Well, I mean, a, a reason to fall in love with Charlie Kohler's he has insane production in the red zone, like insane. He had ins- he had, oh, route so running many paired touchdowns. with size. It's like that's that's what you look for yeah. in the red zone. I mean, he him in the end zone in the red zone um, at, at Iowa State was just a match made in heaven. So uh, I really like that, and that is a, another area where the Giants need to drastically, drastically improve and get their execution up and also just add more talent that they can utilize down there. So I love it. Um, I, with round five, pick 147. I am also going with the tight end. I'm going Jake Ferguson out of Wisconsin, 6'5", 250 250 pounds. Um, This is one of those things where I like Jake Ferguson a lot more than maybe the consensus. Uh, You like Charlie Kohler a lot more than the consensus. I mean, I like Ferguson. He's he's not the total package, but he does everything all right besides be fast. Giants need a tight end, and Ferguson, this is the way that I'm wording it, he's one of the sexiest non-sexy options this class has to offer. He He knows how to get open. He's a good football player, and he can block. Um, I, I actually think in that H-back kind of role where, you know, he's pulling around the line and he's lead blocking, I think he can really fit that role kind of well. And unlike Chig out of Maryland, you know, who, like, would fit the H-back role perfectly, well, Ferguson can line up in line. Yes. You know, um, and again, I think he's, he's good at getting open. Now, he's not going to get wide open versus man coverage because yeah. speed. But again, we're talking about around five, pick 147. That's what I look for. And again, I pick Kohler, who's not a great blocker, but I value more just having the total package and, you know, comparing it to the Giants situation. The last two years, I would have played Caden Smith over Evan Ingram. I would have traded Evan Ingram and played Caden Smith because that is, is uh, Caden Smith going to burn someone? No, Evan Ingram really didn't the past two years either, but we'll forget that. But he does enough. He doesn't have any huge weaknesses to his game where Evan Ingram did. The guy like Greg Dolchich did. Yep. It does. Yep. So I love Ferguson's blocking ability. Hey, he's not going to be catching those crossing patterns over the middle of the field and maybe getting a lot of yards after the catch. But, hey, I mean, uh, we really liked Caden Smith, and I can easily see Jake Ferguson being like a Caden Smith kind of player in the NFL, which you take that from a round five pick. You have to I can't mute my microphone anymore. That really – There is a way to mute it. You just don't know how, and I don't know how. Round five, pick 173, our second, fifth round pick. This one is from the Chiefs through the – or. From the Raven, it's from the Chiefs through the Ravens in the Ben Bredesen pick swap. Sure, yeah. UNC running back uh, Ty Chandler, five foot eleven, two hundred four pounds, with a four three eight forty. Tra- tra- you know, he transferred from Tennessee. I fell in love with this guy's speed with great burst and contact balance with guys around his legs. Not going to run it through anybody, but he's got good contact balance, and he'll break some tackles. I think he's a lot smarter than people give him credit for. I think he's elite at manipulating linebackers. Um, he's patient. He lets things set up. Now people will say, well, he doesn't square and get upfield. But it's like part of me, part of that was the, the UNC RPO, uh, you know, vertical scheme. So part of that, you know, there's a little bit of projecting. But I just viewed it as like, well, tell me the time he was in the backfield when he shouldn't have been, where he's sitting there back there dancing. Because when I see when there's initial pressure, when someone blows their block, I saw him not panic, one cut and go and get the yards that he could. And he's not going to run through guys, but uh, I think he's good at picking those battles. And Ty Chandler is a big play threat. And you can he doesn't have the best receiving uh, uh, numbers, but I think you can use him out as, as receiving help. I, I, this was my fault. He's one of my guys I fell in love with. Ty Chandler's fun. Kind of runs like Bradshaw. Just aggressive. Nat- naturally. Well, no, Bradshaw looked like he was trying to run Bradshaw aggressive. Bradshaw could run through, guys. Ty Chandler's not. But, yeah, I get what can, you're could saying. Could it? I, Ty, uh, Bradshaw wanted to, and I think Ty Chandler has that want to in him. Like, he wants to run through dudes. Right. So, yeah, that's I don't want to say that he can't, 
because it'll hey it'll happen you'll you'll get some uh he's an older guy though he's you know he played five like he used a super senior year to go to unc all right that's what worries some people. But, you know, he led Tennessee and, you know, people are like, oh, well, he didn't have the production of Tennessee. He led Tennessee in rushing twice. There you go. Love that. Reaching for value. We're trying to get good value picks. And my round five pick, 173, is going to be Sam Webb, cornerback from Missouri Western, six foot, 202 pounds, 32 and one eighth inch arms. Now, this is a guy that, you know, we didn't look at before, um, you know, during our, during our prep. You know, we were doing our mock draft, and I'm getting to a point where, you know, hey, I just want to look for a good football player. And Sam Webb, I think he can fit Wink Martindale's system. And you see, you know, uh, Joe Shane and Brandon Bean, at, at least with Buffalo, like they tried to take some flyers on cornerbacks on day three and yeah, late and they day they did three. well on a few of them, and too. And they've done well. So uh, I can easily see with this, hey, with this 147 pick, 173 pick, 182, um, them kind of stacking up on these secondary players. And Sam Webb is a guy that has – he has man coverage traits, has those longer arms. You know, even though he's six foot, does have arms that are longer than 30 inches. They're 32 and one eighths. It's pretty long for, for a guy his size. So he has man coverage traits, and you know, he really did, uh, he, he did some of those things at Missouri Western. So not much to say about Sam Webb, um, but I think he'd be a solid kind of value pick the Giants could have. Yeah, and again, like you said, the Bills have hit on some of those late uh, cornerback picks. Yep. All right, we're finishing off the draft. Wink Martindale. It's like, we haven't taken a player since the third round. It's like, yeah, we'll wink three of the first four picks were defense. I got you the guys you wanted. Give, give me one more. Let me, let me get a nose tackle at least. Mm. And I'm getting him a guy who I've taken in the last two mock drafts, a guy we fell in love with at Mobile and Mobile at the Senior Bowl, which let's look at it. How many Mobile guys did I get? Charlie Kohler, um, Alec Pierce, Ebiketti. So I, I, I didn't go uh, Dave Sugar. Gettleman heavy on the Senior I, Bowl. I went Dave Gettleman heavy. I have one, two... Um, three, four, and my fifth one is also going to be a senior bowl. <laughs> All right, so, but I'm going with my nose tackle guy. I mean, just blew oh, away shit. the senior bowl. LSU defensive tackle Neil Farrell Jr., six foot four, three hundred thirty pounds. He had nine and a half tackles for a loss, but he's a run stuffing nose tackle. Um, just never gives up ground versus doubles, and he sh- when he's single block, he sheds blocks. Now he's not going to be a pass rusher because he doesn't have the athleticism, but again, he's going to win pass rush reps. He's not going to get to the QB, but he's going to win pass rush reps. And that sets up other guys. Justin, here's something that I think is really notable about Ken, uh, Neil Farrell. At, our friend Robert Smith went to the Senior Bowl Media Day, asked some of the offensive linemen, who was the best player you faced? Mm. Neil Farrell Jr. At the Combine, my favorite uh, interior offensive lineman in this draft, Kenyon Green, they asked, who's the best player you faced? This guy went up against SEC competition for three years. Neil Farrell Jr., I, the, I'm finishing off my draft with a no step, which is a need. You, we have Justin Ellis to be a stopgap, but I'm going Neil Farrell Jr. round six. All right, so the draft. this is this is not me being a bad guy, but this is just us, and I'm asking you, like, he's not going to be there round six, right? He consistently is there. Use your brain. It, like, what grade did you put on him? Um, did you I don't put, have the grade in front of him. I had him as like a fourth rounder, right? Probably a fourth rounder. Yeah, I think a, a fourth rounder. Yeah. So I love Neil Farrell Jr. I mean, if he if he is there, I mean that is that is a let me look slam at dunk, NFL, you know, uh, robbery. Let me look at Lance Zerloin where he has him. Come on, and take you could, the money. You could go and ahead, pick, do your pick, and then we'll come on, take the money. And I want to get this under an hour. Round six, pick one eighty two. See, like Lance Zerloin has him traits or talent to be above average backup. That's his six round pick, especially at that spot. What's the number? Uh, six point zero zero. Hmm, I think that's a little low. Actually, no, that's probably right. 
Round six, picks 182. I'm going to round up, round out my mock draft with Max Mitchell. Offensive tackle, 6'6", 307 pounds from Louisiana. Did Rob Sale coach him? Yes. Look at that. So I'm rounding up my mock draft with Max Mitchell. Bobby probably could tell you a little bit more about him, but he's consistent. He's a consistent player with solid technique. Good technique. Um, and that's probably not something that you can really find on on day three. So if this guy, if Max Mitchell can come in here, yeah, I already have my tackle and I have Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal, right? But if he can come in here and be uh, a swing tackle, um, if he can come in here and be depth on the interior as well, because he is a little light, 307 pounds, he definitely does need to add some strength. He's a very good, He has very good technique, but play strength is a question. That's one of the reasons why he's a day three pick, round six pick. But if I can add another three offensive linemen that I feel pretty solid about in my draft, I feel good about the future of the Giants O-line. There we go. I, I like Max. I think he's going to be a good swing tackle. He reminds me of Mike Remmers a little bit. Um, all right, so what did what did our, our final draft look like? Yeah, what's our uh, final draft? Oh, there it is. There we go. How about that? All right, so that's an episode. You can leave that up as we finish. Do you want to do you want to read it for podcast listeners? I think we should do that. Yeah, for my pick, my draft was Evan Neal, Sauce Gardner, Arnold Ebichetti, Leo Chanel, Alec Pierce, Zach Tom, Charlie Kohler, Tyler Chandler, and Neil Farrow Jr., Justin Went, Evan Neal, Kayvon Thibodeau, Travis Jones, Cole Strange, James Cook, Jalen Tolbert, Jake Ferguson, Sam Wells, and Max Mitchell. I would pass that damn eye test at the doctor because that's really small and far away from me. Yeah, good for you. I kind of know the names as well, though, too, so that helps. Um, People hate my mock draft on YouTube. Screw them. Let's quick. <laughs> speaking of YouTube, we will be live for the entire draft. So tomorrow at 6.45 to 7.15, we will go live. We'll have it scheduled. We'll be live for the entire first round. In years past, we didn't go live for the entire first round. And then, obviously, days two and days three will be live for the whole thing as well. Um, so join us with that. Subscribe on the podcast app. We have it as, a, as and if you're on YouTube right now in the link comment. You'll get the, the, the uh, you know, the round one, pick five and seven podcast. That's going to come out before the YouTube. So subscribe, leave a five-star rating Ooh, review. it's true. It will. Um, so join that if you want to join patreon.com slash talking giants two dollars a month. So we appreciate you guys. Enjoy the draft. Let's get our right tackle. And let's go big blue.